So I guess uh, going into um, then, let's talk. I would like I want to talk about uh, de- your detective comics run. Sure. Um, how did you feel? How did you one? How did you f- feel when they when you landed that gig? Well, I was very cold because I was in <laughs> Toronto, okay. and I was I was on set uh, with Titans, and you know sometimes when you write in a television show, not all the time, but sometimes they send you up to uh what they call produce the episode um and that, that really means just making sure that everything that's been litigated litigated and like adjudicated for the page winds up on screen okay and you're also there to answer questions because you have a global understanding of what the narrative is and the crew and the director who oftentimes comes in to do that one episode and then goes off to another episode might not know mm-hmm. you know everything that's going on so um I was working with a couple of really talented directors, um, uh, Alex uh, Kaliminos, uh, uh, she was great, and Mira Minon, she was great. So I, you know, I'm sitting there in Toronto in, in a chair, everything is cold, and I get this uh, email, because you know, being on set is a lot of waiting, you're just waiting, a lot of waiting. So you're sitting there trying to pass the time, and I can see mail uh, from Chris Conroy at DC, he's like, hey, Brian, we were just curious, would you be interested in writing the type of comics? <laughs> <laughs> so I sent him an email. I was like, "Oh, I didn't know you guys had a Detective Comics that didn't have Batman in it." <laughs> and Chris is like, "No, no, we want Detective Comics, Detective Comics, the one with Batman in it." And then I sent another email. Are you sure you sent this to the right guy? Because <laughs> I'm Brian. I'm not Brian Bendis. I'm Brian Hill. I get it. Like, is Brian? You know, it's an easy mistake to make. Brian Hitch. I don't know what you're talking. About. And um. It's like no, and so yeah, we just had a conversation about it. And uh, normally, I think I would have been a little intimidated by um, being offered, you know, a platform like that. Mm-hmm. Um, because even though I've been doing comics for a while, I've been doing mostly indie comics until until recently. And I never thought that you know I'd be writing detective comics, you know, in the near future. You just don't think about things like that, you know. Um, so you just kind of you know keep keep working at it. So I probably would have been pretty intimidated had it been Wonder Woman or, you know, um, you know, the Incredible Hulk or what have you. But because it was Batman, and I feel very comfortable in the world of Batman, it was easy for me to just get the creative juices flowing and just go ahead. So uh, I was, like, really excited. Now I was still freezing. But <laughs> I, I was freezing with a smile on my face because I knew that I had an opportunity to tell a story in Gotham. Yeah, and like um, that. That uh, I, I feel like I heard. I heard once from uh, Scott Snyder. He said that every creator uh, he feels has a Batman story that they want to get out to the world. Oh yeah, I mean Batman is. If you're an actor, Hamlet is the thing that you're chasing, right? You know, like every actor has a way they would do Hamlet mm-hmm. um, if they've done stage at all. Forgive me for not knowing what uh, female actors pursue as stage work. I'm not. I'm not really certain, you know. Um, but every profession has like a thing. If you're a jazz musician, then you want to play Giant Steps. You know, uh, I think it's Coltrane, right? Every every jazz musician wants to kind of do their spin on that. Or if you're a vocalist, you sing My Funny Valentine, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, hey, as, as a comic book guy you know like yeah you kind of want to take a stab at batman because batman is that beautiful combination of pop art and literature 
combined into one thing. And because the characters had so many facets and interpretations, everyone has their own little perspective on who Bruce Wayne is and what his world is like. You know, you can tell that from the films. They're all radically different, but yet they're still all Batman. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I think that's true. I think Scott's Scott's right about that. You know, um, uh, at least one issue, if not five, you know, people have. I probably have, you know, 500 issues of Batman in me to tell if I got the opportunity. But um, uh, it certainly wasn't hard for me to figure out five books Mm -hmm. that i could share with the world and it's also you know batman is just like you said earlier batman is human he's someone we can all relate to his struggles are so relatable and it's easy to put in your own take on your own struggles into the world of batman i mean when i read scott snyder's work you can tell that you know he struggles with anxiety depression and a lot of fear and you can see that in his batman work with grant morrison's you you can you can see his vision of Batman is you know uh, like more like a supernatural godlike character who is you know this all powerful dude. Yeah. Um, what is your then? What is your then take on Batman that's going to separate you from other writers? Well, I like to explore the the burden and the cost of bifurcating your your life the way. Batman has, you know, okay. the, the, the relationship between identity, true identity and persona and what that does to the spirit and how difficult it is to be a symbol, you so, know, and so does that mean we'll see more of Bruce Wayne, not just Batman will also get a lot of Bruce Wayne. You're definitely going to get some pretty stark moments with Bruce for sure. Um, I mean, the, the, the story itself is about a fundamental question. Can Batman be Batman while he's building this this Bat family around him? Mm. It, is he somewhat minimized by having these reflections and derivations of himself? And the villain of the story would say, yes, he is, right? The villain of the story would, would say, Batman has become less Batman because of all of these people, these imposters, mm-hmm. these, these lesser versions who bear his mark. And I can help Batman by, by rending them away from him. Okay. Uh, and so we, we, we explore that in the story, you know, we explore, uh, what it really means you know, the journey from being that young, angry man who comes back bleeding to Wayne Manor in a ski mask sitting in that gigantic chair, you know, painting of the mother and father behind him, mm-hmm. and the bat flies through the window, right? And he's confronting his fear and decides to create a cloak of his own fear around him so that he can wield that fear. You know, criminals are a superstitious and cowardly lot. I shall become a bat, all of that. You know, and how, where has that character evolved to, you know, to the point where he's got, these young, volatile, high-risk people around him, and they they wear his symbol, you know, and what does that mean? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? And uh, Jefferson Pierce, Black Lightning, is in the story as well, and, and what interested me about that, because DC asked me, you know, um, what do you think about Black Lightning being, you know, kind of in this, and I was like, oh, that could be really interesting, because Jefferson, as a civilian, deals with high-risk youth all the time as a teacher. Mm-hmm. And I, and I thought, well, what would Jefferson Pierce think about what Bruce Wayne is doing? Because 
you know, no educator in their right mind would say, oh, you're a traumatized child. I got a great idea. Put I'll on a mask. You how to fight. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So, yeah, like having, you know, having that different perspective, you know, in there um, and sort of questioning the, the nature of it, you know, and what happens when people get too familiar and too comfortable with Batman. Is he, is he able to protect Gotham uh, the way he could, or is he in danger of becoming a mascot or brand, basically? Mm. Right? Is he a is he a franchise? You know, um, and so yeah, those are those are interesting ideas. So so for this story, we're we're sort of tackling those, and I and I've got a new villain that's coming in there that's bringing some some uh, um, issues from Batman's past into his present and threatening his future, as all good villains do. So, yeah, you know, those are the sort of things that we're, we're doing. I mean, I would say, like, tonally, um, I've definitely got a little Frank Miller in there. Um, uh, a little year one, probably. You know, not so much the frenetic energy of Dark Knight Returns, or certainly two and three. Mm-hmm. Um, but probably more of, like, the controlled, meditative rage <laughs> of Batman <laughs> year one, right? Is yeah. Um uh, with, uh, uh, you know, I think a touch of the Nolan films, for sure. Uh, I'm getting so excited as I'm here listening to you. I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, just keep talking. Just to, I keep think tell I, me more. I, well, <laughs> thanks, man. Well, well, you know, well, it's really important to me that it feel like a, a classic Batman narrative. Not mm-hmm. classic in terms of its stature, but just in the way that it's articulated. Like I told Miguel, uh, um... Uh, Mendoza, uh, Miguel Mendoza. Sorry, Miguel. (laughs) Miguel Mendoza, I think it is. Forgive me. I'll buy you a a cake or something if I I messed up. (laughs) But I told him I I only had a couple rules. You know, one of my rules is Batman will never smile in the Batsuit. The other rule was don't force yourself to show all of Batman all of the time. Oh, I like that. I like that a Cause, lot. Because one of the things that will irk me about a story is Batman sometimes travels with his own key light. <laughs> and I'm like, why? He's Batman. Like, he's got, he's got the best silhouette in all of comics. Like, you don't need to light him all the time. Um, and Miguel really got it. He's, he's doing a, a, a very cool, I think, kind of classic rendition of, of Batman. That that's that's awesome. One yeah, I uh, one thing that I wish that more Batman comics would do is use that silhouette. My I mean, I love in year one all the silhouettes. I even love. I don't know if you've read Gotham Central, but every time Batman comes, you don't really see a full rend- rendish rendering of him. It's just his. Uh, it's either the cowl or just like his shadow. And well, well, one of the things I'm doing in in the book is whenever Batman appears, I I think about whose point of view is it. I don't mean literally. I mean emotionally, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think oftentimes the moment will be better if it's not Bruce's point of view emotionally. You know, like, it's often better to experience Batman as other people experience Batman. You know, with that fear or that stature. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, you you want to give the reader that experience rather than making them too familiar too colloquial yeah. with him you see right? that silhouette in the streets you're like um oh, I'm, I'm i hope i'm doing something right 
Yeah, you know, it's it's and and that's part of the strategy, the tactical strategy of being Batman. The moment he becomes a man in the suit, then he's dead. He's always got to fight the the truth of what he is. You know, he's got this war against the truth. In truth, he's just flesh and blood, mm-hmm. bone, just like we are in a suit. That's it. Yeah. But he can't have everyone understanding that and believing that because then it becomes too easy to kill him. So he has to use theatricality to subvert, you know, our, our sense of what he is and what he could be. And, and a lot of that can get articulated by not having a scene happen from Batman's point of view, but having it happen from some other character's point of view. And you get to experience what it's like to be in a room with Batman, you know. So these things are we're going to play with a little bit, and uh, and hopefully I'm able to deliver um, on the uh, the emotion, you know, emotion and the uh, the tone and and the uh, the force, you know, of of his appearance every time he shows up in the book. No, that sounds awesome. I'm I'm so freaking excited for this run. Um, do you? What are the chances of you being able to continue this run? Are they only giving you five, or if, or is it like if this is good, we'll give you the rest? I I can't speak to specifics yet, Tyler. Um, but there may indeed be plans afoot, uh, you know, for more Brian Hill, um, in Batman Goth- in Gotham. stories in, in the future. Well. You know, we can't, the time, you know, time's a flat circle, as Russ Cole <laughs> says. And so we just have to see, like, kind of how it bears out. Tell you what, if your listeners uh, read, uh, you know, Detective, and they enjoy the work that I'm doing, and they share it with their friends and let everybody know, then, you know, you know, might be some decent chances you might see some more of that in the future some point. That's the, is, that, is this the official statement from the Hill administration? Well, the Hill administration at this time has no specific <laughs> On whether or not I will continue <laughs> past the five issues of writing the type of comic, but I can say that I just hope the folks out there, they head to their local comic book store, support small businesses, their lifeblood of America, support small businesses, and pick up the type of comics. Add to your pull list. Uh, let me know uh, how it is after you read it. Go and find me on Twitter. <laughs> Tell me what you think. Oh man, that's that's awesome. <laughs> that's a good. Hey, that's a good voice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I do that to people when I call for customer service, oh, that and is, it freaks them out. They're like, "Oh, what did I do?" They're like, "I don't know what's happening right now." <laughs> Last time I did it, I did it to like someone at Comcast, you know. Oh man, I'm, I'm like, sure, man. Well, Comcast, I looked customer at my bill service, and I saw I was getting charged for some some shows <laughs> and some networks that I don't watch. Now I don't know who's responsible for, it, but I think we got to get this right. <laughs> and they're like, "Um, one second. and they have a Pavlovian response because they they know it's not the president of the United States, the former president of the United States. But at the same time, their sure. brain is trained to respond to it. So it's hilarious. It's a really funny thing. If I was a jerky boy, that would be like my jerky boy state. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I guess really quick to like end this for like either like the next like five or ten minutes, I'd love to get sure. your um, any advice you could give to comic book writers and artists. You know, what do they need to do to stand out um what do they need to be prepared for to survive in the business and i guess yeah and they just like overcoming the struggles because like i mean you were pitched you were being super perseverant um uh, yeah what can what advice can you give to those who want to do this for a living well okay so on the writing side of it 
um, because that's my first-hand mm-hmm. experience. I only have second-hand experience from the art side. From the writing side of it, one, I would say to don't let the eventual accomplishment, the sense of the future, the sense of what you have to get done by a certain point, don't let any of that into the laboratory where you build your work. You know, don't worry about getting it all done at the same time. If you're intimidated by page count, if you're intimidated by the idea of writing a novel, writing a screenplay, writing a graphic novel, what have you, don't worry about the graphic novel, the novel, and the screenplay. Just write a page. Write a page a day. Right? I tell everyone, uh, if you, if you, on your birthday, you started writing and you wrote one page a day, on your next birthday, you would have 365 pages, no which is a novel, which is, I think, three screenplays, at least, which is a whole mess of comic book scripts, right? Mm-hmm. And if you can just do the one page a day, eventually you're going to build up those pages. It's like, it's like you know, football. If you, if you worry about the touchdown, then you're just worried about the touchdown. If you get first downs, the touchdown takes care of itself. If you write one page a day, the novel will take care of itself, right? And that will open up, I think, the relationship you have with productivity and the whole thing. The other thing is work on multiple things at the same time, if you can. Now, I was at a lecture when I was at NYU and James Cameron was there, and he said that he's always writing two things at the same time. And that way, he never gets burned out on something. As soon as he starts to hit a little bit of a molasses patch, he'll just move over to the next thing and start working on that. But he's able to remain productive. So he's always kind of kind of going at it. Uh, and I think those, in general, those are good things. So specifically with comics... Um, because there are so many more resources now than there, than there were when I was, you know, first starting this, you know, and just in terms of the internet, internet distribution, and what people will read on the internet, and how they will encounter work, uh, you can get people's eyeballs on your work um, in a much easier way. So uh, if you if you've written something and you really believe in it, instead of spending all of your time writing like Green Lantern or Flash or Wonder Woman or whatever it is, like you know, to get pitches and all that. I would suggest creating your own characters, finding an artist who uh, is willing to draw a little bit for you. Um, try to save a little budget for the artist because it's harder to draw than it is to write, mm-hmm. just in a physical sense. You know, I can write five, six comics a month. No artist can draw five or six comics a month, <laughs> right? So, and yet, and yet, I recognize that. I think writers need to recognize that when they're asking someone to draw something for them. That's going to take hours. That page that may have taken you 15 minutes or 20 minutes might take someone eight hours to do. So because of that, stockpile a little money. Save your coffee money. Don't go to Starbucks, buy Folgers, whatever it is. Ramen noodles for a couple weeks, whatever you got to do. But tuck away a little bit of money so you can at least offer an artist something to do your pages. And uh, just put up little you know, two-page stories, three-page stories, little micro-stories, what have you. And... Get a blog going. Get a Twitter feed going. Lead people to your stuff. You know, like, do a little bit of uh, investment into your own career. Uh, and that'll go a long way. You'll probably get further doing that than you will just coming up with pitches hoping to bump into Dan DeDio or Jim Lee on the floor. Um, because it's just hard to get into that pitch system um, when you're coming in from the outside. Uh, so, so I guess that. And all, I mean, last thing, I would pick up uh, Straczynski's book on screenwriting. I forgot what it's called. Um, it's like the elements of screenwriting or something like that. It's J. Michael Straczynski. It's a great book. 
uh, read Stephen King's On Writing, which I also think is a fantastic book. And then if you're telling mythological stories, then study the work of Joseph Campbell and Christopher Vogler. Uh, Vogler wrote a book called The Hero's Journey, which is an easier way to approach Campbell's uh, masterwork, The Power of Myth. Uh, mass, you know, the hero with a thousand faces, uh, mass of God, all that. So I'd start with the Christopher Vogler hero's journey. If, you, if that speaks to you, then maybe seek out the Campbell conversations with Bill Moyers uh, called The Power of Myth. I think it's on Spotify. You know, you watch, listen to it there. And then dig into Campbell's work, and that'll, that'll help you out. Uh, on the art side of it, this is stuff that I got from my friend Nelson Blake, uh, who's doing the Miles Morales annual uh, with me. Uh, oh, that's, for, oh, that's awesome. For, Mar for Marvel. It's coming out later this year. Um, you know, Nelson is always a student. He's always studying and learning and, and trying to get better. And uh, I think that's a really important thing for an artist. Uh, you know, when, when you asked me about style. And I think for both writers and artists, style is a byproduct of practice. You can't force a style at the beginning because you don't know what your style is. You know, it's, it's like they... In my, I, used to, I studied martial arts for a long time, and, and they would say, until you're a black belt, you haven't even begun to know what your style is. Oh, wow. You're still just learning the techniques. You learn what kind of, what kind of martial artist you are after you get the black belt, after you're, you've, you know, you're getting your basic techniques in, because then you start to modify, right? That's how you get from you know, Chinese wushu to Jeet Kune Do, because Bruce decided, I had to modify this. Like, yeah, 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 I do all of this, but I think it's more efficient if I do this. I can work in some judo, I can work in some, some hapkido, you know, jiu-jitsu, what have you. I think it's the same thing with art. You know, by doing more art, your style will emerge uh, uh, from that. I also say, do not fear walking in someone else's style if it appeals to you, because eventually it will become original and unique. And I think a lot of people make this mistake. A lot of people, they want to be unique from the beginning, wholly unique, and they spend more of the time avoiding than doing. Mm. I think that, just leap into it, man. Like, just, you know, if, if you really like, you know, Sarah Pacelli, and you want to you wanna try to get that style down, try to get Sarah's style down. And as you do it, at first, yeah, it'll look like mimicry, and it, it, it'll be just like, you know, a few shades off of the, of, of the standard. But as you continue to do it, you'll start to discover, oh, wait a minute, but I, I kind of want to do this instead. And I want to do this instead. Oh, I like the way she does this. I'm going to do that. I like the anatomy here, but I kind of want to do... And your style is going to evolve from that. You know, I'm also like a, like a musician in my spare time. I just kind of mess around and write songs and stuff. And if you start off trying to write, you know, like a Drake song, it'll sound like a Drake song for the first 90 minutes, but then three hours later, it sounds like something totally different mm -hmm. because you find new things, right? So don't be afraid to use other people's awesome work as training wheels to get you on the road. And then when you start speeding up, just like when you're using training wheels on the bicycle, there gets, there gets to be a certain speed where the training wheels will keep you from going that fast, right? And then you got to take them off so you can go a little faster. But you can take them off because you know how to ride a bike now. So it's the same thing. So uh, that's that's one of the things I, I, I would consider. You know, I mean, there's so many uh, people creating and there's so many ways people are sharing the creations. It's easy to feel like there's a bunch of white noise and I'm not going to stand out unless I'm unique and all this. But being unique just comes from doing it a lot and doing it the way that, and, you know, that you find really entertaining. You look at my work, you're certainly going to see a little bit of Frank Miller in there. Hopefully you're going to see, um, you know, some 
a little bit of Grant Morrison probably in, in a couple moments. Some Starlin is in there. Obviously, the Nolan, you know, work is going to be in there. Also, going to see some Michael Mann, you know, kind of in my work uh, in in different different places, and that's okay because the amalgam of those things and how I'm interpreting those things is your work. That's my work, right? And it's my perspective on all of those things that provides that unique nature. If I spend all my time trying to avoid all those influences, then I, you know, you'd be getting that Adam West book. Not that I have anything against Adam West, <laughs> but that's not the story I'm trying to tell, right? So yeah, I would I would just tell people to don't be afraid to to, you know, explore through your work the things you love because you're going to find out more about yourself that way than you will by running away from things. No, that that's that's awesome advice and um I think that's a perfect place to and this and this podcast thank you so much for being on and making the time to be on thank you tyler it's been great man and i'm sorry i uh i double booked the whole thing oh um, no but no. You're, you're my, my idiocy knows no bounds <laughs> <laughs> no you're good everyone go and check out brian hill on twitter um, to, um be sure to check out in june his detective comics run as well as um, you said you have a Miles Morales uh, annual. Oh, yeah, Miles tomorrow. Morales annual. Yeah, I got a Miles Morales annual. Um, Mark Begley's going to do some of the art in there, and then Nelson's doing the bulk of the art in there. That's coming out later this year. Uh, my Hong Kong Fooey Black Lightning one-shot will probably be on shelves by the time you hear this, so go pick that up because it's beautifully absurd with Dennis Cowan and Bill Sinkevich doing art on that, influenced by Big Trouble in Little China, speaking of diving into your influences. Uh, I'm also working on Cyberforce and uh, Aphrodite 5 for Top Cow. Pay attention to that stuff. And yes, follow me on Twitter, as Tyler said. My Twitter is Brian Edward Hill. Really easy, just my name. <laughs> Brian with a Y, Brian Edward Hill. Just follow me on Twitter. That's where I do my, all of my announcements. I love talking to readers, and you can ask me anything. I keep my DMs open. Just try to keep it polite, because the more polite you are, the more likely I am to respond to you. You are, um, very, you are very nice on Twitter. I've noticed that. You keep, the Hill administration is very uh, neutral. Well, I think it's important that we have a good example out there on social media for how people need to behave, because folks don't like when writers are rude to their readers <laughs> online. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, so it's been great, Tyler. I really appreciate it, man. Sweet, thank you. Thank you.